This podcast was brought to you by Budweiser, official beer of the FA Cup. Drink Budweiser sensibly and visit drinkaware.ie. It wasn't a classic. Did you expect us to, Tony, do you expect us to come here just to please you, the media? Because we don't come here to please you, we come here to win. And Gerard! Oh! Stunning! What a strike! After beating three, four, five players. Wonderful, wonderful fit to win any football match. Hello and welcome to the Vosley FA Cup podcast brought to you by Budweiser. Reminder to drink Budweiser sensibly and visit drinkaware.ie. My own name is Gavin Casey and I'm joined for this special FA Cup podcast by Gavin Cooney. Hey oh. Gav, you met up with John Hartson recently. Yeah. Friend of the site is John. Big and, John. And uh, more importantly, friend of me now. Oh, what do you uh, mean by that now, Gav? Got the Twitter follow. Oh, you know, straight very in sly. There. Very sly. Um, I've robbed a few of those of you in, in, in the past, so I'm glad to see you. Uh, he's, pro- he's probably my, mo- my most famous follower. I'm going to drop that name there. Big John. Big John. Fantastic. Other than you, of course. Yeah. Uh, no, it was a real pleasure to meet John Hartson. Obviously, I remember him. I was only a really a kid when he was in his pomp at Celtic. Remember seeing him score at Anfield. Uh, he's he's a very he's a very very friendly man, but he's very intense. Ooh. I mean, his he's, he's got a thousand yard stare. And when you first meet John Hartson, he says he doesn't really say hello. He just kind of lists the things that he's doing for that day or that week. Uh, so I've met him twice now. I met him once at a at a roundtable event promoting air sports coverage of the Europa League a few months ago. Um, and he sat down and said hello, lads. I'm here, I'm doing this game, I'm doing that game. And then met him in the old storehouse a couple of weeks ago to do this interview. And he said, oh, hello, Gavin, how are you? Yeah, I'm over here, I'm doing this and that. And he was in Dublin for like three days doing punditry. Um, but he thankfully did talk about things in the past as well. Talk about his football career right up. He's, I mean, he came through Luton Town, so that was the... Re- and even as a teenager, he was pretty precocious. And George Graham made him Britain's most expensive ever teenager in signing for Arsenal from, uh, from Luton Town. And I think the, that Luton's cup run to the... Was it the semi-finals? They were knocked out by... Semi-finals by Chelsea. By Chelsea, but you were made Tony Cascarino. Inextricably um, linked, all of these podcasts. I know. Uh so that kind of gave him the boost and moved on to Arsenal. It was just so interesting hearing him talking about the, like, the likes of Dennis Bergkamp. Uh, he, he'll hear him talk about what it was like to be around Bergkamp. A like-for-like like replacement there. I mean, anytime <laughs> they, they were interchangeable. Uh, and Well, Hartson's real replacement was Nicholas and Elke. Uh, yeah, less said about that. Than and uh, he was then, all right. Then did it and West went to West Ham and then obviously Cel- talked about Celtic for a good bit. And he also talked a hell of a lot about Ireland-Wales, which on coming up in a couple of weeks. It's coming ever closer. I'm very worried about that game, but I'm looking forward to this chat. Um, we throw to it? Yep. Let's go. Hey, John Harrison, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely my pleasure. We might dive straight into the FA Cup. What are the dominant FA Cup memories that you take away from your career? The dominant FA Cup memory uh, that I have was quite a long way back now, in 1994. Mm. I was 19 years of age. I'd I'd only recently broke into the Luton Town first team under David Plate, and we had a fantastic run in the FA Cup. We uh, we we took Newcastle to a replay. We we drew at St James's Park with a fantastic Newcastle. Kevin Keegan as manager, Andy Cole and Beardsley 
yeah. in great form for them. Robert Lee, uh, Barry Venison um, at the back with Steve Howey, Mike Hooper in goal. And um, we drew 1-1, I think about uh, 50,000 at St. James's Park, which is a great result for us. We were the underdog, of course. Luton, we were a couple of divisions lower than the Premier League at that time. Um, so we had a great result, 1-1. Um, Beardsley scored a penalty for them and little Tony Thorpe, a little small striker that we had, scored our goal. So we take them back to Kenilworth Road, where there was about 11,000 sort of packed to the rooftops. And um, I started the game. David Pleat went for me uh, for whatever reason. He must have thought that I could have had an impact. And, and were you a regular in the team at this stage? Or is I this was in and out. Okay. I was in and out. We had Dwight Marshall. We had Scott Oakes. We had Kerry Dixon. With his, He'd come from Southampton. Kerry, obviously, his best days were at Chelsea. And Kerry must have been 33, 34. Um, he was great for me. Someone to learn off, you know. And big centre-forward uh, with a good touch, good in the air, and uh, very quick. Even at that age, he could still run over the top, you know. So I got I got a start anyway. So I started the game, Newcastle at home, midweek, under the lights at Kenilworth Road in a replay. And we beat them 2-0, and I scored the first goal. Live on Sky, Scott Oakes scored our second goal. So we knocked Newcastle out of the FA Cup, which is a huge story. And then in the next round, uh, we drew West Ham at home, um, we'd already made our mark at home, similar to what Millwall are doing now. Neil Harris wanted a home tie. You know, you look at the teams they've knocked out already. They've knocked out three Premier League clubs of Millwall in this season's FA Cup. Remarkable, really. And um, so we wanted a home tie. We got it. We drew West Ham. David Pleat left me out. I didn't play this one. Remarkable. I just didn't play it. Kerry Dixon played played fantastically well. We beat West Ham 3-2. Scott Oakes scored a hat-trick. So I think we're in the last... It could be 8 or 16. And anyway, I can't quite remember. But we drew Cardiff. And I'm a Swansea City fan. Yeah. Swansea City boy. So you can imagine all the build-up. Cardiff had just beaten Manchester City in the previous round. Nathan Blake with a wonderful goal. Good friend of mine, Nathan. I went on to play for Wales with Nathan Blake smashing lad, really good friend of mine now. And um, we drew Cardiff. So we go down to Ninian Park, which is um, very hostile. And I start. So I didn't start Newcastle, played the replay. Didn't start West Ham, we got through. And I'm starting now against Cardiff. And uh, I got so much abuse. Yeah, I was going to ask, do they know if you're Swansea Yeah, absolutely (laughs) they knew. You know, I made it public that I was. So that was the sort of... Oh, you were kind of happy to take it. I was young, I was boisterous, (laughs) you know. I wasn't really um, uh, very educated on that side of it. I've learned a lot now as you get on with experience. You get a bit wiser as you get older, as you know. Um, So we go down to Cardiff and we knock Cardiff out. Great day for me. Great, more so great day for Luton. And I think we find ourselves in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. And um, we play Chelsea at Wembley semi-finals. And I genuinely believe to this day, if we'd played them at Villa Park or if we played them at Hillsborough, I think we would have done better. Not quite saying that we would have gone through. Chelsea were a strong team. And uh, we played them at Wembley. And a lot of our players, we had a lot of young players, likes of Paul Telfer, the likes of myself, the likes of Tony Thorpe, the likes of Scott Oakes. And 
a lot of the guys froze on the day. Oh, so it wasn't like the wide open spaces of Wembley. It's just the sheer size and reputation. Sheer of size. Place. Luton took forty five thousand. Chelsea took forty five ninety thousand wow. people. What not? Whatever it was, thirty five thousand yeah. and thirty five thousand, seventy thousand. Whatever it was, we split the crowd anyway. Luton, well, well followed club. Um, and of course, you know Chelsea, the, the London club, um, huge club as well. And uh, it's a fallout at Wembley. The whole occasion, the whole build-up, the players' pool, all the interviews, all the Sky Sports. We're in the semi-final. It's never been known for Luton Town to, you know, to have uh, in the FA Cup. Of course, uh, they won the Littlewoods Cup under da- under. Um, oh, sorry, it was David Cleet. They won the Littlewoods Cup in 1988, beating Arsenal. But uh, we got the semi-final anyway, and and um, we draw Chelsea, and I miss out. Okay. I miss out. He doesn't play me. David Pleat again doesn't play. So I've started Newcastle. I've started Cardiff. I've missed the first Newcastle away. It's in jail, and I miss West Ham. So he was chopping and changing. I think one of the reasons he went with Kerry Dixon was because Kerry had a wonderful relationship and affinity with Chelsea, one of their greatest ever players. Scored, I think it was 200 goals for Chelsea. He's absolutely worshipped by the Chelsea fans, Kerry Dixon. So Kerry started and uh, we got beat 2-0. I came on for the last 20 minutes at Wembley. Wonderful occasion. And um, Gavin Peacock scored their both goals. And Tony Cascarino was alongside Gavin Peacock on the day. Big cast, big friend of mine, big friend of the shows, yeah. obviously. Um, Republic of Ireland and everything else. Um Good, big centre-forward, powerful head of the ball. Um, Cass bullied our centre-halves that day with a young lad, David Green, and Trevor Peake. Uh, Trevor was a good, experienced, tough centre-back, but Tony Cascario, he was just, you know, he was jumping off a ladder at times. Yeah. He was winning so many headers. And uh, we got beat 2-0. So that was my vivid, uh, closest, and probably my best memory I have personally of the FA Cup. Just a whole build-up, um, getting through three or four difficult rounds, preparing for Wembley, going along, sitting on the bus, and thousands and thousands of fans going down Wembley Way and everything. Else. A lot, of, you know. I played another cup final since, like in Glasgow Scottish Cup finals. I played in the in the Cup Winners Cup final when I moved on to Arsenal at the Parc de France. And but as a 19-year-old, very very young, with Luton as well, we yeah. were not expected to make finals. Um, I would say yeah, disappointing on the day because we lost, but um, it was it was great great time and looking back, you know, wonderful times. Yeah, and it must have been for you. Obviously, you're a teenager. This must be the big time. Or like, are you giving TV interviews to Sky and right. your family and friends all watching? And it must be like so exciting. Yeah, it was. It was really exciting because I'd gone to Luton as a 16 year old from from Swansea to to to, uh, to pursue a dream, if you like, to you know to. Uh, to become a professional footballer, and I started off, you know, making my own way into the ground and staying staying in digs with with a with a lovely family, um, Eddie and Debbie Johnson. They were they were fantastic. They second parents to me. They've become really. Um, so it's all that you know on on third on twenty nine pound fifty a week as a as yeah. a sixteen seventeen year old, and then signing professional forms at at eighteen under David Pleat and. You know my my development then, and then and then in into the uh, into the Luton team, and then obviously I I played about fifty times, and that's when the big move then the big move came to us. And it was a really big move because George Graham made you the most expensive teenager in British football. Am I right? That's right. Yeah, two point five million it was. I was nineteen years of age, and uh, 
you know, one week I'm playing for Luton and against the likes of the Grimsby's and the, the Hartley Pools of this world. And and then the week later, I'm partnering the England centre forward, who was Ian Wright, and, and making, w- making my home debut against Everton. And, and it was that quick. I mean, it happens that quick. And was there obviously, like, in today's, around today's football and today's media, there's so much. Well, there's just so many media outlets that there's naturally more speculation around transfers yeah. before them. And was it literally a case of David Pleat coming to you and go, George Graham wants to sign you for a crazy amount of money. Yeah, You're that's, off. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. That's exactly what I didn't have an agent. You know, what you got to remember was this was um, 1995. It was 22 years ago. I was 19 years of age. Um, and David Pleat said to me, John, go home, have a shave. Um, put your best jacket and <laughs> shirt and tie on. He says, we're going to go um, up the A1, up along Holloway Road, and we, we're going to go and see George Graham at Highbury, wow. which is about a 40-minute journey from Luton in Hertfordshire. And um, I couldn't believe it. Got in my car. Um, I had an old Escort then, £400 it cost me. <laughs> and the lads used to call it the Luton Taxi because <laughs> I had these black and white sort of soft cushions in the back seats and... <laughs> And it was like a, it was like one of them black five seater cabs, a Luton sort of cab. Um, so I got myself home. I got a shirt and tie on. I had a shave. The next thing, I went back to the ground. I jumped in the car with David Pleat, and um, we make our way to Highbury. And there, I meet George Graham for the very first time. I sit down with George. I signed a five-year contract, 19 years of age. I think I went from something like £175 a week that I was on at Luton. And I think it was about, probably I went on to about £3,000 a week. But Did you upgrade the escort? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, upgraded my wardrobe, I know that. <laughs> um, and then I, uh, and then obviously that was rising with appearances mm. and everything else. But money wasn't money wasn't an issue then. You know, it was just a case of you want to play football. You, w- I want to get on the pitch with the England captain Tony Adams and Martin Keown, who I roomed with for two years, and we had some wonderful players. Dennis Burkamp came to the club, and um, myself and Wrighty played several times through the middle, and Dennis played in behind in the hole. And um, I that became, must be uh, yeah. the most extraordinary strike partnership to be part of, right? And well, it was magnificent. People ask me to to this day, you know, who who is the best player you played with, and um, it's very difficult to separate uh, Henrik Larsson and, and Dennis Bergkamp because Henrik yeah. was was a phenomenal player, just a goal machine, um, and uh, great lad, athlete, very very professional, the ultimate professional, really. Uh, and Dennis was just he used to float. He never used to run. He, he used to float along yeah. the ground. He was so much great balance. And um, whenever he was in the room, you knew he was there. He was just a great presence to be around and uh, very humble. Uh, but what a player. His, his skill levels were just on a different planet to everything else I'd ever seen. His touch. Uh, you play them circles, you know, where two in the middle. And he, 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 he would never go in the middle. He would never give the ball away. So much vision and <coughs> and flair. Um so Dennis was, and, and obviously Henrik were, were the by far. And like I played with Roy, Roy Keane. Roy was a magnificent player uh, out of this world. Uh, a top, top draw, if you like. One of them elite players um, that I was able to play with. I played with Ryan Giggs for 10 years. I got to know Giggsy really well. A uh, great friend of mine. And, you know, the likes of Wrighty, Merson. I, I could go on. I was yeah. very lucky. You know, Sutton was a great player at Celtic as well. So... Um, but 
playing alongside Dennis Burkamp at 20 years of age was, you know, I had to pinch myself at times. And then you did spend some time under Arison Wenger, and Arison came in and essentially revolutionised English football. Well, that's what a lot of people say. Were you cognizant or were you aware of this massive change as soon as Wenger came in, or was it slowly and steady? Or No, he changed things almost immediately. Obviously, none of the lads knew who he was. Of course, he, yeah. He, that was that he, was down to the. From, did he come from Monaco? Or did he come from Japan? Yeah, he came. I think he managed Monaco and then was in Japan. And David Dean waited a while before. That's right. So he finished so out in Japan. Arsenal came in. We had a European uh, Champions League game um, against Borussia Mönchengladbach uh, in over in Germany, and we got beat two one. And Arsene Wenger was in the dressing room the same week as he signed Patrick Vieira. So Vieira came into the dressing room. He would signed Vieira for four million pounds from AC Milan. Uh, Patrick was about 18, 19, I think he was at the time. And uh, we're in the dressing room. Arson was in the, was in there, um, but uh, it was Pat Rice who took the team and Stuart Houston, who'd been given the reins av- after uh, after uh, Bruce Rioch had been sacked, of course. And uh, um, no, it was before that. It was before that. So Pat Rice and, uh, and Stuart Houston were in charge. And, um, and then Wenger was brought in. Um, I think I think I'm, I'm, I'm getting mixed up. That's okay. But what I'm trying to say was, he, he came and um, he didn't take over the first game. He just just sat around the dressing room, looked at things, sort of analysed a few things, and he then took the took the team for the Saturday. We played Blackburn Rovers away. Right, he got them both, and um, and almost immediately he changed. You know, we stretched after went into a private room after um, after training, and we'd all. We'd all stretch for an hour and a half. You know, we go through all the muscles and the body, and and he changed the 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 diets and in terms of the food that we ate. You know, it would um, it would all it would all be laid out, and it would be breasted chicken and um, yeah, just things like um, what else? It was like um, lots more veg and things like this, and um, and the training was all done <coughs> on on the on the watch on the clock. It was 10 minutes of this, and then it would be five minutes of a technical drill, and then it would be 10 minutes, and we'd finish with a game. Then we'd finish with sprints. It would be 45 minutes. We, would, we were told how long it would be before we started. So never off the cuff. It was all preparation. And um, and he was fantastic. And he, he, uh, he didn't want me to leave the football club. He wanted me to stay and learn off Wrighty and Dennis. Mm. And, um, but I, I had a call off Harry Redknapp to... Um, to go and play for West Ham and, and obviously to lead the line for them and Harry said he would I'd have the number 10 shirt I would play every week I'd play a bit more frequent than I was playing at Arsenal which was music to my ears really yeah and you went to West Ham it was quite a good team it was Ferdinand Rio Ferdinand and Frank Lambert I think were in it and yep. you were really very successful at West Ham well I got 24 goals <coughs> in my first year which mm. I was a goal behind Michael Owen for the golden boot uh, I was one behind him and I got I got six games suspension that season. I was sent off twice. All oh, right. So um, there's no doubt I could have got a few more goals, and who knows? But that was my best ever in the Premier League. Twenty-four. I got thirty once at Celtic, and got twenty into my twenties several times. But it was my best return um, in the in the Premier League and in for West Ham. And as you mentioned there, it was a really good team. It was myself and Paul Kitson and. Um, the likes of um, Steve Potts and Julian Dix and Ian Bishop, John Moncur, really good footballers, typical Addy Redknapp players, you know, can can go both ways, can 
um, good passes of the ball, can play it around the corner. Just um, and then of course we had, we had some fantastic young players. I think West Ham won the youth FA Youth Cup that year, ninety seven. Um, I think it was or ninety eight. With the likes of Rio, Frank, Michael Carrick was at the club, Jermaine Defoe. These kids were coming through. They'd come and join in with us in the first team. Harry would bring them over to get involved now and again. And um, I think it was uh, Tony Carr uh, that was the, the scout there at West Ham. Brought a lot of these kids through. And uh, I'm saying, I call them kids now, but they've gone on to become <laughs> real men and real yeah. fantastic footballers in particular. You know, Ferdinand, Defoe, Lampard, and of course Carrick is... Has been a, has been a, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much a, a top player for Man United for ten years. And how is Harry to work under? Brilliant. Harry was great. Hardy Redknapp um, got the best out of players. Appreciated, um, appreciated good footballers doing the right thing, getting the ball in the right areas. Wingers, if you've got centre forwards, put the ball in. Don't cut back and turn and cut back. If John's making his run. Stan Lazaridis, Trevor Sinclair, get that ball in because we've got a fantastic header of the ball that wants to head the ball. So why play? It's like, why West Ham would you play with Andy Carroll if you're not going to get him service? Peter Crouch, you know, really good, gifted headers of the ball. And I came into that category. So if you're not going to get the service in for me, then I'm going to be isolated. I'm not going to have the impact. So Harry, you know, he knew what he had on the pitch. Worked with what he had, um, and he was a, he was a great manager. Harry, you look at his career, did very very well at Bournemouth, excellent at Portsmouth, won an FA Cup at Portsmouth, um, Spurs of course, Champions League qualification. Yeah. And he did well at West Ham as well. So, I work with Harry now a lot, and I speak to him. He's a, he's a fantastic guy, good friend of mine, and uh, massive respect for Harry. Yeah, and just on the FA Cup, I think your last game for West Ham was in yeah, it was the at FA Swansea, Cup. Yeah, yeah and this was enough. you were on the other side, so you'd gone in the great giant killing spree with Luton. Yeah, this is you on the other side. So That's right. Swansea yeah. were in the fourth. What would have been the fourth tier, I suppose? Quite possibly. And yeah, Beachy. I, th- I think it was the old third division and Beachy after a replay. <coughs> That's right. So what's it like being on the other side of that, and obviously against your hometown club as well? Mm, no, it's not nice. Of course, it's not yeah. nice because. Um, you know, I think what you have to do is you you saw you saw a couple of nights ago with Arsenal, and I think first of all you have to when you come up in a game like that where you're playing an underdog, you have to match them physically, and you have to be as enthusi- as uh, enthusiastic as them, because they're not used to playing big games, they're not used to playing in front of live cameras, they're not used to playing in front of packed full house stadi- um, stadia, so when you go to these smaller grounds where it's a massive moment. The bigger team with the quality players, they have to match the smaller team for endeavour and commitment. Once you do that, then you will win the game because you have that quality that will come through and one of the players will produce something magical. A top player who's on 15, 20 grand a week. No disrespect, these non-league players are on a fraction of that. So that's when you'll win the game. But if you don't go there with the right mindset... Um, you will become unstuck. And it's not three or four of you. You've got to have 10 or 11 that have to have that mindset of matching the opposition physically. And we didn't do that at Swansea that night. We let them take over. We let them dominate in the middle of the park. Um, We let them win uh, corners and free kicks and winning more second balls. 
And ultimately then they slowly grew into the game. The crowd got behind them. And then they managed to score the winning goal. I think Martin Thomas from a free kick from the edge of the box. And it's not a switch football. We just couldn't quite switch it back on once we'd gone a goal down. And the euphoria then of the stadium, the home crowd, get they cannot believe they're beating a Premier League team. The Swansea City players start running that little bit harder than what they would on a weekend because they're playing against, you know, better players, if you like. Um, they've got they've got the opportunity of one of their players becoming a hero. Uh, and that's exactly what happened that night. We got beat 1-0 at the Vets Field and that was my last game for West Ham. Mm. And then I think Wimbledon followed, maybe not yeah. directly next. Obviously, they have a very storied history in the FA Cup having won in 88 when you play for Wimbledon, or even when you go to the training ground every day, are you always kind of aware of the legacy of that cup win as it kind of come to define the club? Okay, it's it's in various different guises now, but were you was that kind of still aware uh, that legacy? No, not really, still because you know this was nineteen ninety nine, and obviously that was eleven years. Mm. Nineteen eighty eight, they won the FA Cup. Um, that was right, wasn't it? They beat yeah, eighty eight, yeah, and. Uh, you know, a lot of them players had left, so the likes of Vinnie Johnson, Dennis Wise, John Fash, you know, Dave Besant, you know, they'd they'd all left the club by then. Um it, it was um it was uh, Bobby Gould obviously was, was the manager when they won it. Now it was Joe Kinnear. It was Joe Kinnear, um and uh, Terry Burton and uh, different players, obviously different era. Obviously they've got the history, they've got the FA Cup winners medals, them players I've mentioned, and it was a fantastic what they achieved. Yeah. You know, a little old Wimbledon, and obviously beating the might of Liverpool. And um, but when I arrived at Wimbledon, there was several changes. Uh, God bless him, Joe Kinnear suffered a heart attack. Uh, Joe had to take some time out of the game. <clears throat> there was managerial changes. Egil Olsen came in, the the Norway manager who had great success with with Norway, the national team. Um, what I liked about Egil was he liked big he liked big centre forwards. You know, he'd worked uh, at Norway with Jan Aga, Fjortoft, Tori Andre Flo, John Carew. Yeah. So he, he he liked the long ball. And I was always in the game then because the full backs would hit me straight away. So, And we had Carl Court and Marcus Gale alongside me, Robbie Earl and uh, Jason Ewell on the half turn picking up the second balls. And it was a good team. It was a good team. And in, in our second year, unfortunately, we just went on a terrible run. We didn't win for our last 12 games. We were something like 10th. And um, we got dragged in, dragged in, dragged in, dragged in. And on the last day of the season, we got relegated because we just couldn't win. Just really struggled to get that all-important win that we needed to, to take you out. And there's always a team in the Premier League, you see it this year, that'll get dragged in from around about the 15th, 16th spot. Mm. Somebody will go on a run in the bottom three and somebody will just come in and it'll go down to the last game. And that's what happened at Wimbledon. Um, but ultimately, we weren't good enough. That's what it was. You know, we're going to get relegated. It's over 38 games, not not the last seven. Um, and from there then, uh, I left again. I went to... Um, to Coventry under Gordon Strachan, a good spell at Coventry. I went there for 12 games, but again, we were, we were almost down. We rallied and we got relegated. Went to Manchester United and um, I got a couple of goals. We got beat 4-2. Um, and then the summer of, I think it was 2006, the big move came, the big move up to up to Glasgow. Yeah, and when you're moving to Celtic, it even I think it even, it's even changed in the past 10 years with the Rangers' decline. At the moment, it seems like going to Celtic is you're almost like it's 
it's not as big a move as probably as it was for you because like the league is less competitive. Were you aware of maybe am I taking a step down by going to Scotland or was that a different time? Well, I'd looked at the team and I'd looked at the manager, you know, and you had Martin O'Neill that that signed me, paid six million pounds for me, um, and a chance to work with Martin, you know, everything that he'd done, um, not so much in the game himself as a player, you know, two European Cups, Notts Forest, all the great stories, Clough Robertson and and everything else there. Um, but what he'd achieved at Wickham and what he'd done at, at, at Leicester as well. Um, so the opportunity to work with a, with another great manager. Uh, I'd worked with Toshak and I'd worked with Wenger. I'd worked with Redknapp and Strachan and, and I was working with Hughes, with Wales, Mark Hughes. So the opportunity again to experience you know something new and under mm. Martin O'Neill, who's a, a terrific, unbelievable manager. Um, and I looked at the team that they had. The likes of they'd signed Neil Lennon and they signed Chris Sutton, and you know the chance to play with Henrik Larsson, the chance to play in front of sixty thousand fans uh, most weeks at Celtic Park in a successful era. The opportunity to go and play in the Champions League. We reached the UEFA Cup final in two thousand and three. We had a wonderful team. We were a team of men. We had a terrific manager that we all loved and respected very much and played for him. Um, so going to Celtic certainly was never a step down. It was it was, it was was a step up in my career from yeah. that time. Um, and we dominated. We dominated vastly for, for the period that I was there. There was... Rangers had a very good team at that time as well. They had two managers, Dick Advocat and... and um, and Alec McLeish, they had the, the, the De Boer brothers, you know, top players. And Barry Ferguson was captain of Rangers and captain of Scotland. The likes of Amal Russo, Craig Moore, Stefan Kloss, Michael Moles, Avaladzi. Yeah. They, they had good players and a good team. And um, it, that was a good time to be playing up there. You know, the yeah. Rangers were in a healthy position at that particular time. Um so no, certainly uh, best five years of, of probably my career. Although I had good times at Arsenal and mm. West Ham, and even at Luton, I had good times, which I've spoke about. But you know, to have scored 110 goals in in that five year period, I had two back operas, I missed ten months of football. Um, yeah, your goal record was astonishing. It was, I think, it was better than one in one every two games. And then obviously you had the injuries <coughs> as well, and plus you had to deal with the likes of Henrik Larsson stealing a whole load of goals for himself. Well, well, of course, you know Henrik wouldn't uh, <laughs> if he could pull it away. You put it away, you know. He wouldn't uh, pass it uh, to you to stick in. But no, obviously I take that back. He was very unselfish, <laughs> and uh, he was a great goal scorer himself. Um, Chris Sutton as well, very unselfish, and um, you know we we just used to go out and enjoy the football because we were winning and we trusted each other. And I'm sure if you ask, you know, top players, you know, the Manchester United era when they they dominated, you know, with the class of '92 lads and the great midfield that they had, you know, the four across the middle and Alexis Scholes and Keane and Giggs and, and and Beckham, lots of other good players as well, which would have came in during that time. I suppose if you ask them, you know, when you're on that crest of a wave and when you trust each other as players and you have faith uh, in, in your teammates, you know, to go and do the right thing and to have your back. And that's what we had at Celtic. That's what we created under Martin. And uh, it was a great era. Yeah. And obviously, now that he's over the Irish team, we're great interest in Martin. How, talk to me about his management style. Like, what kind of manager was he? Was he arm around the shoulder? How did he... How did he get the most out of you guys? 
Well, he managed. He managed, and when he needed a kick up the backside, he'd, he'd certainly give it to you in 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 uh, no uncertain terms. Um, if there was any type of um, arrogance or um, slacking, or I would be told about it. He would either pull me to one side, or he would tell me in front of the group. It's however the situation was, he would deal with it, and uh, if he felt I was needing a arm around the shoulder, I was. Um, he would sense it, and I would get the arm around the shoulder. Um, but he's just a he's, he's a he's a he's a man's man, and I think he'll uh, he looks at people's characters, and he can he can sense. Um, you just feel that you want to go and play for him. Yeah, you want to go and win for him. He's a winner. He hates to lose. He hates um, lackadaisical, sloppy. You have to do things properly. Um, when he's around, you, you you feel he's there. I mentioned Dennis Bergkamp earlier on in that dressing room. You know, when when Martin's there, he's uh, he's clocking everything. And um, and these like Bergkamp and O'Neill, I wouldn't put them down as very loud men. I don't think they'd be shouting, but still, you'd feel their presence in the room. Is that no? Fair? Well, if Martin needed to be loud, he could be as loud as anybody. But um, you know, th- there was times where that's what I'm talking about. He managed. He's a manager, and he managed men. He managed players. And it's 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 knowing what to say. It's knowing how to treat people. And uh, he'd leave you out. He'd bring you in from the cold. You just don't know, really. Um, but I got to respect him. And I, you know, I I played at times when maybe I was going through a difficult patch. He stuck with me. And uh, maybe when I thought I was doing great, and I was on that, uh, you know, that that run of invincibility, uh, he'd take me out. You know, and uh, I had one or two fallouts, words, and you know, um, but in general, there's only one winner, and that was the boss. You yeah, know, he, the manager is always right, and and strangely enough, now he comes over and Martin attends my golf day up in Glasgow, my charity golf day that I do every year, and um, you know, we sit down afterwards, and w- you know, we have uh, we have a chat, and um, it's great that he's doing so well with, with the, the Republic of Ireland, and we reminisce a little bit yeah. about about players that. You know, we were at Celtic at that particular time, um, and uh, no, I as, as uh, I'll be trying to go and uh, see him now on the twenty twenty um, fourth of March, when uh, a massive game takes takes place at the Aviva. You know, the Republic of Ireland Wales. Um, I always nip down to see Chris Coleman and, and the players. Mm. You know, Gareth Bale and one or two of the guys, because I was assistant manager for about nine months with Wales, so I was working with these guys at the very beginning. Um, Oshan Roberts and, and a lot of the Welsh players that have gone on and done superb things um, in the last couple of years. Obviously, the Euros, and if I get an opportunity to see to see Martin and Roy and Stevie Guppy and Stevie Walford, who, who I was with at Celtic as well, yeah, uh, I'll go and say hello to them because they're people that I like. I wouldn't normally go to the dressing rooms, and that's not me at all. You know, I just get on my job, but. I'll try and nip down and say hello and um and see how they get on. Yeah, we'll talk about international football in a second. I'm just intrigued. What's Martin's golf game like? I'm not allowed to share the game with him, but he likes his golf. Okay. I believe Martin he, he likes a game of golf and I've uh, he came over and played in Stillian Petrov's golf day and I think uh you know, he he's played a lot with um with Dermot Desmond and you know, the Celtic owners and that. 
Uh, and I believe Martin, he, he likes he likes the odd game of golf, and um, he comes and plays in my golf day. So, but I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. want to say he's <laughs> a he's a bad player. He kiss yells <laughs> it against me. <laughs> uh, and then in terms of your own international career, you were capped over more than fifty times for Wales, but you never got to a, a major tournament. Obviously, there's a lot of pride when you watch Wales at Euro 2016. Is there a nagging feeling in the back of your mind that oh, maybe you played at the wrong time? Was there a small bit of regret there, or is it just? This is amazing for Wales. Well, it is amazing what they're doing, and we had opportunities. You know, I, I played in a in a great team where the front three was Giggs, Hearts, and Bellamy. You know, that was our front three. So I, we, we had a bit of everything there. Yeah. We had pace, we had strength, we had uh, um, well, certainly you had pace out wide, <laughs> um, bit of strength down the middle. But um, you know, and we had the likes of Gary Speed, God rest his soul, and Robbie Savage, Mark Pembridge. Um, we had some really good players, and before our era, our era, the, uh, the Southalls and the Ratcliffs and the Rushes and the Hugheses, and 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 obviously Ryan Giggs, who was um, for me, you know, right up there with the best Welsh player of all time. And people talk about Gareth Bale; he's had a huge impact. Obviously, he's taken Wales to a place that we've not been for fifty odd years. But the likes of John Charles was incredible. You know, could play centre forward, centre back an absolute legend in Italy when he went over to Juventus um, wonderful player wonderful you know uh, ambassador for the game John Charles um, so there's no regrets yeah. we got to a playoff uh, against Russia and we couldn't get the, the job done unfortunately because that would have been great it would have you know it would have been fantastic to sit here to say well I played in a major tournament I didn't but uh, there's many of players down the years, great players for Wales, um, that have not done that. And that's a shame. But none of them would play the blame game. And um, it was just a case of, at that particular time, they never won They never won enough games. They never performed at the right, at the right times. And you just accept that. But uh, this group of players have managed to do it. Yeah. Full credit to them. Now Ireland Wales in March. Now you won't remember this, but um, I was in a like a grouped interview with a number of journalists with you in Tally. You were out with Air Sport. I think it must be maybe five or six months ago. Yes. Uh, you won't remember me because I was far too shy to ask questions. <laughs> um, but you you picked an Ireland Wales combined eleven, okay. and I think one Irish player made it. Right. I think it might have been Robbie Brady. Has that? Do you want to reconsider that, or is it still only one Irish player in that? In that combined Wales eleven. Well, I think that might have been on the back of the Euros. Yeah. Was it after the Euro? It, I think it was sometime around yeah. October of last well, year. I think in the Euros, you look at it, and Ireland won one game out of four. Yeah. That's what you won. Yeah. You beat Italy. You made a lot of changes. Martin galvanised the crowd, um, and the Irish fans had their day when he beat Italy. Um, one win in four. Wales got to the semi-final and they won four games in six. Yeah. And um, on the back of the, the Euros, I picked a team and I, I, I stand by it at that particular time. Yeah. Um, but you've made a great start to the World Cup qualifiers. Um, both teams unbeaten. Um, Republic of Ireland have picked up some fantastic results. Going to Austria and winning was a brilliant result for you. Uh, a team that have not lost there in over four years. We could only draw there, took the lead twice. We, we were pegged back twice. We dropped some silly points. We won it up in the 93rd minute um, against Georgia, and we conceded 
last kick of the game. Mm. Um, we managed to beat, um, is it Moldova? Yeah. Managed to beat Moldova. So we're on six points, you're on ten. You've made a great start. And uh, it's a massive three points, I think. If you were to win it, then it'd be difficult for, for Wales to come back and, and top the group with a, with a seven-point deficit. If you win it, you go to 13, we stay on six. Yeah. If we were to win it, we're, we're back in the race. Um, it's just that, I go back, um, just starting with Wales, this time, a couple of years ago, in the, in the Euros qualifiers, we were taking the lead and seeing games out. We took four points off Belgium, we drew in Belgium, we beat them in Cardiff. And the difference is now we led twice in Austria and we're just not seeing the game out. Mm. Whereas two years ago, we were. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know what that is. Um, but we're unbeaten. Um, obviously, we'll we'll give the Republic a very good game. Um, difficult to s- probably say who's going to be favourites. Yeah. You know, if, if Gareth Bale has just come back the weekend, he's came on, scored against Espanyol. He's he's pivotal for us, but you have some wonderful players. Brady, of course, is out. Yeah, uh, that's, so he's, see, that's he's a, a big, big loss blow. for yeah. you. Um, I like I like uh, Shane Long. You know, he's a, he's he's a big game player. Manchester United will have to cope with him this weekend in the uh, in the Carling Cup final. He's always a threat. Uh, you've got some experience in the team, of course, and. Um, you know, it, it, I would probably make you favourites if I'm honest, because okay. you're you're at home. Okay. Uh, in front of a. That's not some Welsh mind games going on well, here. Now, well, hold on a minute, you know. <laughs> but um, no, I think it's great, and you know the Irish they like a bit of banter, they, they like an opinion, and I send a little tweet out when it comes to the rugby, and it just my 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 phone just goes through the roof, <laughs> you know. They just they can't accept that it. it's a little bit of fun, you know. But um, no, I like it. I have great. I have a great welcome when I come over to Dublin, and I, I do a lot of work for Air Sport. And uh, I like Dublin as a city, and I spent lots of time mm. over there with my wife, and um, and obviously the affinity that Dublin has with Celtic and the Irish and everything else. I um, I always get a great welcome. I walk through the airport, and all the stewards and the security guys are all saying welcome back, John. They're yeah. so used to seeing me now. Um, but no, it'll be a great night, obviously. My allegiances would be firmly in, in, in the Welsh camp, of, yeah, course. of course. You wouldn't expect anything else. But as I said, it's it's going to be a huge game, a huge occasion. Martin O'Neill's teams are, are difficult to beat, as I know. I know that at first hand. And um, let's see who comes out on top. But it's vital that um, I think Wales don't get beat, because mm. if we do... We can probably wave goodbye to top spot. Yeah. Are you going? Are you? I'm there. I'm working for duty, BBC Five Live. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've done all the Wales games for the radio. I could have done a bit of Sky, but uh, BBC asked me to to do them all, and I've stuck with the BBC because I did it in, with the Euros. I like the radio, BBC Five Live. So I'll be there with my bobble hat on and um, <laughs> keeping myself nice and warm. And hopefully I'll be celebrating. Do you enjoy the punditry work? I'm guessing you do. It's well, it's the next best thing, I think. Mm. You know, listen, I've I've had opportunities to um, to um, to coach, and I was assistant to Chris Coburn, and um, had a little stint down at Newport in Wales, um, just after Dean Oldsworth left the club, and um, I just feel where where I am now at the time, and um, with me moving up to Edinburgh, five children, a young family. 
the media really um i like the media um i always give my views and i, I try and tell it as as um as honestly as i can uh there'll be better people in the media than me same as there were better footballers than me but i'll give it i'll give my best and i'll always try and uh come from a different angle and everything else uh, add something uh fresh to it um and i do enjoy the media yes i'd be lying if i said i, yeah. I wouldn't like to be working with a top manager you know working alongside him learning um i think i would like that but i'm 41 now and i'm thinking well you know i'm still got opportunities maybe in the future to do that but um for the time being i'm 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 healthy you know i'm uh i'm busy i've got a wonderful family and i've just moved up to edinburgh from wales and getting to finding my way around Edinburgh and everything else and the kids of settling in the new schools and that so it's always challenges put in front of you and uh but I, I do enjoy the media yes but I'd be lying if I said I uh I'm missing the the smell of the grass every of morning of course um one thing your old Celtic teammate Chris Sutton has kind of arrived in the punditry scene <laughs> and blazed a trail uh, you can be as kind or otherwise about him what's he like because I, mean, I think you've done the BT score Saturday with him is he well I, I mean, played with Chris for yeah. four years I know Chris but is he set well. out to wind people up I have a feeling that he might well um, Chris will he's brutally honest he's brutally honest he's um, he, he likes to you know he's quite dry as a sense of humour when you're yeah. with him but I like him he's, he's a good friend of mine we played very similar positions we had very similar careers if you like uh, I didn't win a Premier League though he did uh, he was a top, top player. His partnership with Alan Shearer was magnificent. His partnership with Henrik Larsson was um, brilliant as well. So I've got a lot of time for Chris. And uh, he's a character. He's a very good pundit. Um, people either like him or they don't. You know, I remember people saying to me, Alan Hansen, 22 years on the BBC sofa. People used to put it on mute couldn't listen to Alan Hansen speaking. Now, if Alan Hansen can't get it right, then who can get it right, yeah. you know? So it's about people's opinions, his preferences, and uh, I've got a lot of time for Chris. And uh, I like him, I work with him a lot. And um, Chris Sutton is what he is. And, you, you know, you either you either like him and deal with him or you don't. I don't think he's that bothered. <laughs> That's great. John, I've kept you way over time. Thanks so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you.